Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. It's that time of year again. It's the unofficial start to the football season. Opening day is just over a month away, and it is training camp time. Welcome to the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I am Zane Nackvi here again with Levin Black. And Levin, man, it, this, this time of year is so exciting to me. I know it's only the first week of training camp, and I know that they don't have pads on and a lot of these passes that the quarterbacks are throwing are against air and not against a rush. And they don't really have contact yet, but isn't it great to see these guys back on the field, like for real this time? Yeah, it's really always exciting to see one, the rookies show up and start getting the first reports of how good they actually look as some rookies come in and it becomes apparent pretty quickly. They're going to be great. Some come in and you know, they got stuff to work on. And then you always get the veterans coming back and, who's improved, especially amongst the second, third year guys. That's always the most exciting in the first week is figuring out all the young players, who's going to be for real and who's not. Yeah. And I think that everybody has a certain opinion about preseason games and where they fit in. And as the preseason wears on, we're going to talk more about that, but everybody has an idea of what they want to see out of this time of the year. And for me, I know that people don't like four preseason games and it drags on and everything, but I kind of like that. And the reason why is because like you mentioned, you get to see a lot of those rookies and some of these back of the roster guys that may have to step up like Matt Breida or Kendrick Bourne have had to in the past with the 49ers undrafted free agents. And you don't get to see those guys in any other setting besides a preseason game because we don't get access to, I mean, we do get access to some practices, but we don't get access to like all of the practices to be able to see these guys actually get out there and perform against a team that is not wearing the same logo as them. So because of that, I think preseason and training camp is, is extremely valuable. I don't necessarily live and die by training camp. Like if Jimmy goes out there and doesn't have a great day, I'm not going to be like, well, he's not the guy. Or if he has a great day, I'm not going to be like, well, he's he's unstoppable. He's going to be MVP. It's kind of like you have to be even kill with this. What you want at a training camp is you want progression. You want to be able to have the guys work on th- their areas of deficiency and improve. And you, most of all, you do not want any injuries. Jarek McKinnon, last year, first day of camp, he was gone. So it, you, you really have to avoid the worst case scenario. And I, and I think this year, man, it, they look like... Hopefully the injury bug is behind them. I think that all the bad karma for injuries has to be done, right? Uh, Who knows? You know, I I hope it's done, but you just never know. And we do have quite a few uh, injury prone type players. I mean, we tend to look at finding the cheap alternative players, you know, like a Jason Verrett is a good example of that. Hopefully their injuries are behind. There's a lot of players out there that had careers that began like Verrett's where he's injured quite often and then suddenly it all goes away and he becomes a healthy member of a team for 10 years, you know? So it's hard to know. I hope it's all behind because if it's behind, this is probably going to be the best 49ers season we've had in, oh, probably six, seven years. Definitely the best team since Harbaugh left for sure. On paper is definitely the best team. They're the most talented and I, I'm not a big guy for record predictions. Even when I give my prediction, which I will give closer to when the season starts. But when I give that, it's kind of like take it with a grain of salt because anything can happen. Injuries, as we saw last year, poor play, bad bounces, all that stuff affects the team's record. But that being said, they come into this camp 
with some lingering injuries. And, and we saw this week that Weston Richburg and Jarek McKinnon and, and Garrett Selleck were all placed on the pup list. And they're probably not expecting Richburg back until the season starts. And McKinnon, John Lynn said he, uh, he had a, a little flare up in his knees, the exact term terminology that he used. And he's still on pup from, from the ACL injury he suffered last year. So to me, that's a little bit concerning because you would expect and hope that they would be ready to go by this time in Richburg. We knew that in the off season that he would have some cleanup work done and, and he would possibly miss some camp time. But the McKinnon thing to me is troubling because, and we'll get to position groups in a second, but I want to see what you think about the, the McKinnon thing, because they paid a lot of money for him to come in and be RB one. And he didn't play a snap. He didn't play a down for the 49ers in the regular season before he got hurt. And now he's, he's, kind of nursing his way back to health and really the they brought in Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert kind of showed in the one game that he started and played he showed that he could be a be an explosive running back and you obviously have Matt Breida who was able to carry the load for most of the season so I mean I, I put out a tweet out there that said that Tevin uh that uh Jack McKinnon may be the la the out the la the uh odd one out in this group and I I kind of stand by that just because I, you really don't know what you have in him, right? Uh, we don't know what we have in him. I think the 49ers and Shanahan has a pretty good idea of what he had designed for him. When he went down last year, Shanahan was talking about how he had to throw away a large chunk of his playbook that was designed specifically for him. But uh, even then, nobody knows exactly what he is coming back from a knee injury like that. Some people come back and they're instantly back to themselves like an Adrian Peterson and some people never come back the same. It's hard to know. I think you could be right uh, that he might be the odd man out. The Niners don't really have a uh, ability to save any cap money by, uh, for instance, cutting him this season. Uh, but you never know. I, I think they're going to st- hold on to him no matter what. It's just a matter of whether or not he can get fully healthy. I think he becomes a candidate with the recent reports for being the first six weeks uh, on there before he can return, and that saves a roster spot to be able to keep somebody like Jeff Wilson and give the 49ers more depth. And then in six weeks, who knows what the running back position could look like if Tevin Coleman looks like the real deal and it has really stepped into that receiver role out of the backfield and has proven that he can do all those plays that Shanahan had designed for McKinnon. And Brita looks to be every bit as good as last season. There might not be much of a role for him, and he might become more of just a uh, third down back. Uh, on occasion, because even Coleman is great as a third down back. It's really hard to say. I would like to see him get on the field. I think he has a lot of upside. It's just, who knows what that knee is like. And with the recent reports, it's starting to look pretty gloomy in terms of his knee and ability to come back to being the same player he was when he was in Minnesota. And that, that is very troubling. Yeah, he was given 18 million guaranteed when he signed that deal, that four-year deal worth 30 million. And they have an out this year, so they can they can cut him and they would have a dead cap hit of six million dollars. And um, you know, basically that carries over the next year. So the way that the Niners structure contracts, and and we'll get into that with the the Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel signings later on, but the way that they structure contracts is they front load them. And that is to the benefit of the player because the, the player gets more money up front. And as we know, no contracts in the NFL are guaranteed. They get guaranteed money, but that's a fraction of what the total contract is quote unquote worth. But they very rarely get that full amount because the team will either restructure, cut, trade, 
or re-sign them to another team-friendly deal when they have an option year. So because of that, I never look at NFL contracts like saying like, oh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo got 127 million guaranteed. Like that's not the that's not the actual number. And we have to remember that with McKinnon too. Like he didn't get 30 million guaranteed. He got 18 million guaranteed and there's an out this year for for uh, $6 million of dead cap space. So they are able to have the option to cut players that aren't effective after the first couple of years by front loading it and giving them the money in the first couple of years. So that the cap hit uh, for dead money later on in the deal will be, will be minimal. And that's how Parag Marate operates. He's say what you want about his analytics of, of drafting and all this stuff. And in the past with Trent bulky, but he is a cap magician and the 49ers don't hand out bad contracts. And, and I stand by that. And they, they do this with everybody, with their veterans, with their rookies, with everybody. So I think that in that sense, um, if they were to cut McKinnon hypothetically, it wouldn't be that huge, of a, that huge of a cap. And like you said, there's guys like Jeff Wilson who played that they can actually stash on the practice squad that nobody's really going to go after that will cost a fraction of what McKinnon costs. And I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope that he can come in and play. Cause I thought that last year when I was doing shows, when he was, he was signed initially, I thought that he would be a really explosive piece to this offense. And I, and I still think he can have that potential, but gosh, darn it. He, he just has to get on the field. He just has to be able to play. And uh, speaking of front loading cap and contracts and stuff. So I don't know if, if you saw this exchange uh, Levin on, on Twitter, but uh, Mike Florio from ProFootballTalk.com, who I I really don't like, who I really, <laughs> who I really basically like. When he writes an article, I just read past it because he is kind of a, a master at putting speculation out there and creating buzz for his own site. I like lo- I like a lot of what Pro Football Talk does. I don't like what Mike Florio does. So yeah, he's a big troll. Yeah, I, I I really don't like what he does. I don't like the way that he writes. I don't like the, like his his shtick, if you will. So. Like he put this article out based off of an agent's opinion of 49ers contracts. And this agent was, I believe Doug Hendrickson who was a former Raider. Uh, I believe he mentioned that the 49ers contracts are total BS because they front load them and they're all team friendly deals and there's no benefit to the player and yada, 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 all this stuff this is the whole contract, this whole long article written on their contract structure, which, which was total garbage. And you know, I, I I added them on Twitter, and they're like, "Oh, that's kind of a what an idiotic thing for a person who writes for a sports website to say was was his response to me or something like that." So he called me an idiot, which was kind of funny. So I was like, "Oh, I say the same thing about you all the time, right?" And <laughs> it was just a it was just a funny little exchange to me. But it's it's interesting how the perception of the 49ers around the league is changing from that of they don't want to sign their players to they will give you the money up front and you can come here because that whole article and that whole narrative is bs because why are guys signing here then why are free agents coming here if that's actually the case if there are not uh a player friendly deals like to me i think that a a a deal for the most a, a, a deal that's of the most benefit to a player is one where he gets the most money up front because you never know what happens later on in your career with injuries and cuts and things like that so I think these guys want their money up front and and that whole narrative is complete garbage to me. I don't know. That's that's just me. I don't know what you think about that. No, the 49ers contracts on the outside looking in, especially a year or two after they were signed, they might look bad for the player. But the reality of it is it's the best of both worlds. It's the best for the team's cap situation. You're kind of playing with the cap there. 
and doing magic, as we say. And for the player, he gets so much money right off the bat, and NFL contracts aren't guaranteed. I mean, well, I guess some of them are if you're Bobby Wagner or whatever. You get $40 million guaranteed as a linebacker. But you get, for, for instance, Jarek McKinnon last year, his actual cash that he got in hand was $12.5 million. That's a lot for a running back. You know, and then you look at like Jimmy Garoppolo last year. He he got almost forty million dollars in actual cash last mm-hmm. season. How is that bad for the player? Just because two years later he's making way below market value doesn't mean that overall he's been paid right where he should be paid and he got most of it up front when people want it. It's the mm-hmm. it's great for the player and it's great for the team. Yeah, I agree. And I don't see why there's an issue with that. I think that's just Florio being Florio, right? Him just wanting to spin a narrative into what he wants, but I don't pay much attention to that guy anyways. I don't pay attention to to that sort of stuff. And speaking of that sort of stuff, there was other stuff that came out from Bleacher Report. There's an article claiming that there's dissension in the ranks of the 49ers where scout, the scouting department and the coaching staff don't get along and this whole dramatic thing. And it was an unnamed, the, the old unnamed source those guys who are so uh, courageous, right, that don't put their names behind their words, that came out and mentioned how the scouting department really doesn't trust, or at that time didn't trust John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and all these things. And again, it's none of those articles where I just kind of skim through. I was like, this is this has nothing to do with anything, and it follows suit with the Matt Miller piece that happened earlier this off season where he was claiming that Shanahan and Lynch didn't get along, and it just yeah. seems to me that that there's somebody who's informing Bleacher Report of these things based off of their own personal biases, like a former scout, for example, a person who was let go that that is, for whatever reason, bitter towards the 49ers. And Matt Barrows, who is, who is a friend of the show and one of the guys that I really, really respect and admire in this industry, he actually came out himself this past week on the radio and said that it's probably just somebody who's just trying to make a story out of nothing. And these guys usually aren't that opinionated about these things. Usually Barrows and Mayoko and these guys are pretty even keeled. But he basically flat out and said this was BS. And I trust that when he says, when a guy like Matt Barrows, who's been doing this for almost two decades, says that. And it's just, to me, it's just one of those things where somebody has an agenda against the the 49ers and they put it out there and Bleacher Report is like, hey, this is Hot Take City and it's the dead time of year in football. So let me take this and run with it. And it's, not exactly responsible reporting, but hey, it is what it is, right? They have to do what they have to do to get a story. Yeah, it's the internet age. You got a bunch of internet people there that don't really hold the normal journalistic uh, values and morals there. You know, somebody like Barrows, he, he's paid to remain objective, which is why it's so surprising when he comes out in defense of, of a GM or, or a coach, because his job is to just report the news and remain objective. Not quite the same when you start talking about a bleacher report reporter or something like that or a mike florio for instance you know those guys are paid to have an opinion and they're paid to generate clicks not mm-hmm. just get the news out and in terms of that relationship I, I think it is a former scout could be could be a former gm that uh i won't mention by name <laughs> who knows really it, it's just somebody that used to work with the current scouts probably and He's saying, oh, yeah, they tell me this, they tell me that. He could be making it up. It's third-party conversations, you know, third person saying, well, this scout told me that, and he's that former scout is telling somebody in the media in order to create buzz and 
bad publicity for the current regime. It, it's certainly seems like there's a vendetta out there. I, I would seriously doubt it's a current scout. If it was a current scout, I think uh, we would have heard of somebody being fired in recent weeks. So it tells me it's somebody that's a former employee who's disgruntled and trying to make the Niners look bad for whatever reason. Who knows, really? We're never going to get a named source. It, it's just going to remain speculation. All that it is, like you said, it's the dead time in the offseason, and it was put out there to fill that dead time and get people talking. And that GM who will not be named, former GM, was also a scout as well. So that's right. food for thought. I'm not... I'm not, I'm not I'm not doing the Florida thing where I'm where I'm speculating. I'm just saying, as a matter of fact, like in addition to what you said, that that GM was also a scout. I'm not saying. Yeah, that it, was, it could <laughs> be anybody. He's yeah. one of many on the list that it could be. Who who knows for real? Right, right. So it's really much to do about nothing. So with that being said, there is plenty to talk about for on the field issues and on the field performance and on the field hopes and aspirations. I just want to get a sense for what do you what do you look for when you when you start training camp looking at this team and what what do you kind of look for when when this part of the season starts? Any video I can find of actual practice. <laughs> yeah, me too. I start looking out looking for any video because you can read the reports of what somebody said, but it's you know, that's always getting it secondhand from somebody else's eyes and a lot of training camp stuff is about the eyeball test. It, it doesn't necessarily translate perfectly to the field. A person who scores a touchdown in practice isn't necessarily doing great things and going to translate onto the field with it. it. It really just depends, you know, same with an interception. Interception could be a lot of different things for the defender. It not necessarily means that defender was doing this great play. It just means that they're working on things. They could have been purposely trying to force it into a specific route and window, and the defense might have known to jump jump that route because they knew it was coming. You never know in, in practice. So it's all about the eyeball test, and getting secondhand reports about the eyeball test is very unreliable. Uh, there's bias built into it. So finding any actual video yourself really helps you do your own eyeball test. Not that I'm some savant that can watch a zoomed out practice of a positional group and say, oh, that guy's a future star. But it does help to see some actual video of, for instance, uh, a video I've seen in the past. You know, you can see a wide receiver and how he makes his, his cuts and how crispy he is in his footwork. You can see that in the videos that are released. Now, with Kyle Shanahan, he is very uh, anti-letting people see any real substance uh, he doesn't like to get the word out. That's why he was so anti being on hard knocks. Uh, so it's hard to find stuff on the Niners. A lot harder, I think, than it was in the past, even though the media exists on the internet now to see it much easier. Uh, I think I, I saw a lot more video back in the Harbaugh days, for instance. He was a little more open, even though still there. there he, he wasn't overly open as much as some coaches out there. But I just look for as much video as I can find so I can get as much info as I can on those young players. You know, I am not so much interested about watching a, a Joe Staley. I know what he is at this point, you know, but watching a Jason Verrett who just joined the team to see, is he really coming back in, in full strength and how's that knee? How's he good? How good is he on his back pedal and making a cut on that knee, you know? And then obviously the rookies watching a Nick Bosa go up against a Joe Staley or a Mike McGlinchey. That would be a great matchup to watch if you can find the video of it. 
Yeah, it's nice to have people who are behind the ropes, so to speak, and taking these videos. Like you see, like Barrows and Miyoko, Dylan DeSimone, Rob Lauder, all these guys are at practice basically every day and, and posting videos. It's nice to see. I don't know how much there is that you can glean from a, a video, like a 10 cent clip of one play in practice, but really it's just nice to see them moving and see them out there and, and see them basically in their element, right? Like we hear about these guys and watch highlights of them when they're signed and drafted and all that stuff. And that's what we have to live off of for what is the longest off season in all of pro sports. But when it comes down to when the lights are shining, that's really when you get the best look at them. And, and that doesn't happen until the season right now. We're just kind of piecemealing our access of them and, and being able to see little bits and pieces, but it, you won't really get a full dosage of this until this season actually starts. Like not even during preseason because the starters don't play the reserves don't play the backups play the most of the time. Right. So like the, the threes and fours will play most of the preseason. So and, and teams said, don't like, scheme for preseason. Exactly. Teams just run a vanilla, pretty much a backyard football. Exactly. And and except for Rod Marinelli of the Cowboys, <laughs> what an idiot. Like I remember last preseason, I, I believe it was last preseason, the Niners played the Cowboys. And he was just he was blitzing on every single down. Like literally sending like nine guys. He he would stack the box and send nine guys. I'm like, what are you doing? It's it's a it's a freaking preseason game. What are you trying to accomplish here? So things like that just just annoy me. Like I don't really appreciate that. Like you're really not accomplishing much. You're you're gonna get your guys hurt or the other team's guys hurt. Like it's kind of like a gentleman's agreement from both coaches that they're not gonna try any stupid stuff because they don't they don't want to risk anything either way. So in that sense, you're right. Like they don't really have many schemes. They don't really uh, uh, put any trick plays or anything like that in until the off season or until eyes aren't on them in practice. Now, you put on an article. Uh, as of the recording of the show, you put it out um, this morning and you mentioned how this training camp is kind of going to go with, with Beathard and Mullins amongst other things. So, I mean, like I kind of, I kind of want to hear or others who haven't read it to hear your thoughts on like, what's going to actually happen. Um, I called it bold predictions because it's kind of going out on a limb, but I think Shanahan is content with Mullins as a backup. He's just not saying that because the moment he makes Beathard, the clear-cut number three on the depth chart. There's no trade value at all there. And I don't see how, with the amount of depth we have at running back, wide receiver, in the secondary, on the D-line, I don't see how the Niners can keep three quarterbacks this year. They've only kept two uh, last season. I don't see how they can up that to three with even more depth at the other positions. So one of them has to go. Mullins proved himself last year to be a capable backup. He does have limitations on arm strength, and there's certain routes that Shanahan likes that he's not going to be able to throw very often. You know That's known by the defense. They'll be able to scheme for it, but still, he did quite well in his eight starts last season. And Beathard, I think at this point, is the clear-cut number three, but Shanahan is not going to treat it that way in training camp. They're both sharing the number two role, according to what Shanahan has said is going to happen. And I think he's going to make it seem like Beathard is every bit as valuable as Bolins. He's going to play him as number two in the first preseason game. He's going to give him a lot of options to put up gaudy stats in the preseason. And he's going to do all that just to try to get some trade value back so that they can get a, a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick for him. Uh, rather than just having to cut him outright and let a team scoop him up and bring him in to see what he has. 
Yeah, CJ Beathard for his career is one in nine. He's completed 57.3% uh, of his passes, thrown for 2,600 yards, 12 touchdowns, 13 picks, QB rating of 74.6. So I, I don't know if anybody would necessarily want him. And I think that because it was a Kyle Shanahan pick, that's why they're attached to him. Otherwise, like if this was like a, a bulky holdover, CJ would have been gone. Let's be honest, right? Like he's, there's no reason to even make this a competition. Like Mullins, he won three out of the, the eight games that he started. Right. So last year he was three and five. He's completed 64% of his passes had, he had 13 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Right. So, I mean, like he was, he was productive in, in, in his limited time. And right. had, sorry, like I said, in the article, if, if you take, he started exactly eight games an exact half season. So it's very easy to expand those to a full season to see what they were. If you expanded it to a full season, not only would he have had 26 touchdowns to 20 interceptions, which is quite good for a first-year starter. Uh, there's plenty of quarterbacks who have been much worse who ended up being pretty darn good quarterbacks in this league. But his yards was the biggest difference to me. His yards, if you expand it to a full season, would have set the team record. He would have had over 4,500 yards as a first-year starter. Beathard, that's the biggest thing that he struggles with. He did improve from year one to year two. You know, his completion percentage went from 54% to 60%. Uh, his touchdown interception was slightly better. It was still more interceptions than touchdowns, but it was a slight improvement. And then, but his yards per game stayed the exact same. That tells me his completion percentage only went up because he was dumping it off more. Mm -hmm. He was completing more passes, but he wasn't actually getting more yardage out of it. He was playing it safe, which is his biggest problem to begin with. He won't let it rip. He's scared to make a mistake so much that he holds onto the ball too long. And that's really the gist of it. Mullins was much more willing to trust the scheme, which is big for Shannon, and he doesn't like uh, ad-libbers. He trusted the scheme. He made the deep passes when he needed to make the deep passes, trusting that the scheme and the wide receiver would be open be because of the scheme. Beathard doesn't do that, and that's a big problem for a quarterback. Yeah. And I want to stay right there with the quarterback position as we begin our position by position training camp preview. Everybody knows that Jimmy Garoppolo is QB one. Everybody knows that. And it's interesting to me how the narrative surrounding him has changed so much because of three games last year. <laughs> and it's, to me, it's comical. It's absolutely ridiculous how the people have, have turned on him because of three so-so game. Well, two and a half, he, he played he play, or two and three quarters. He played three quarters of the Chiefs game before he got hurt. But almost three complete games where really you could say that none of them were really his fault. That, uh, that I mean, the two losses, like neither of those were really his fault. I mean, if you think about it, that Chiefs game, the defense gave it 35 points in the first half. 35 points in the first half. What quarterback is going to win that game that's not named Tom Brady? And even with Tom Brady, when he makes that that sort of comeback, he has players around him. Jimmy Garoppolo does not have the same roster or coaching or experience that Brady has. So there is nobody that wins that game. And they and he brought them back. They almost he basically turned that into a two possession game at the end of that game and brought them almost all the way back. And yet people are dumping on him for saying that he had a, a really poor three games. The Lions game the week before that he won was, I mean, the, the end of that game was, was a complete gaffe by Kyle Shanahan to call a throw 
on third and one, a short throw to the to, to, the, to right. the flat to Matt Breida when you needed one yard and you needed to keep the clock running. I mean, it was just just the, one of the worst calls I've ever seen a coach make. And I lo- I love Kyle Shanahan, but I was shocked that he made that call. And obviously, they got bailed out by the the illegal contact on or holding on on uh, uh, the guy that was covering Kittle. But that that play should not have been called in the first place. I mean, yeah, it's on Jimmy because he threw it. But that you as a coach, you have to help out your quarterback. And then backtracking again to the Minnesota game, the opener from last year. Okay, so you lose both of your right guards. Mike McGlinchey, who's it's his first game of, of his life in the NFL, and he has to slide over to guard a position that he's never played in his entire career right. playing football at any level. You have Marquise Goodwin, who's your number one receiver, go down after one series or during the first series. You have Dante Pettis playing his first game, being your, your new number one. Pierre Garçon drops a, t- a touchdown pass that he should have caught. Alfred Morris, who was not even on the team by the end of the year, fumbles on the goal line, not once but twice. George Kittle, who was not the same George Kittle at the beginning of the year as he was at the end of the year, dropped a, t- a long touchdown pass that, that or long, a long pass that should have been a touchdown. So all of those things happened. And yeah, Jimmy threw the pick six. Kendrick Bourne fell down, but he should not have thrown it. He contributed to that loss as well, but it was not because of, of him. Okay, like people need to understand that. Like I hear people everywhere saying, oh, well, we don't know what we have in him. He may, he, he may be cut after, after uh, 2019 and 2020, the Niners can get a new quarterback. That's Florio again with his, his speculation BS. But, you know, I, I'm seeing all these people turn on him. It's like, well, where were you guys when he was 5-0? and oh? Like you guys thought he was the next, the next coming. And all of a sudden he has a couple of games where he's not like all world level and you're ready to turn on him and say Nick Mullins is going to be the starter. I mean, just, I just don't understand that. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. All fan bases have uh negative Nancy's to put it one way. You know, they're always going to look for the negative and with the 49ers last uh, almost 20 years now, especially in you know, the last 15 being really amongst the worst in the league, you're going to have a little more negative Nancy's out there. But as far as Garoppolo goes, I don't want to make excuses for him because he, he wasn't as great last year as he was in those five games, but he did have the deck stacked against him. You know, we mentioned McKinnon went down and they, they worked all off season on, on a whole bunch of plays specifically designed for him. So now he's playing with Alfred Morris, who was just signed, you know, there in training camp and Matt Breida, who's still developing as a player. And then a wide receiver, who's the guy that he, really did great with at the end of 2017 in those five games. Marquise Goodwin. Well, he got a deep bone bruise in his thigh right away. I think it was first quarter in that Minnesota game. So he loses his speed threat. All he's got left is Garcon, who had fallen off quite a bit. I mean, injuries had really started to take its toll on Garcon. Uh, he's not not going to be able to open up an offense. He's not going to beat people deep. Uh, that athleticism was gone from him. And then he had a rookie in Dante Pettis, who's not only a rookie, but he's a rookie that everybody knew. He's great at getting separation, but he's unorthodox. So timing routes are going to be hard for him early on before a quarterback really gets that rapport with him because he moves really weird in order to get the separation. He's not He's not going to necessarily move to a specific timing so a short slant route is hard to do with him because he's going to be juking around to get by the defender and get get the advantage so that's a really tall task especially on the road in minnesota and then you go to the next week and goodwin's still out obviously mckinnon's still out and so he's still playing with that rookie 
and Garcon. It, that's really stacking the deck for for any quarterback to succeed, let alone one that's in his first full season trying to start with one of the most complicated playbooks there is in the league. Yeah, and I think that really what it comes down to is people need to understand that he's still a young quarterback. Well, he's 27 now, but in terms of starts, he, he hasn't had that experience. There will be growing pains. I think he'll have a much better season, obviously, than he than what would have projected last year after the first three games. But really, it, it we know we know that Jimmy's a starter, right? So that discussion can can end. But to your point, the backup job I think is Nick Mullins. Like, there's no way that CJ Beathard will win that job unless Nick Mullins totally, totally, really craps the bed or gets hurt or something else happens. Like, I, I just don't think that CJ Beathard is is that good of a quarterback. Like, I he just He's slow to process everything. He's not accurate. He doesn't have that great of an arm and he takes a ton of hits and really like he doesn't do anything, any one thing really well besides take hits and be tough. Right. So because of that, I think, I think that it's going to be Mullins uh, as, as the backup and they'll probably sign a practice squad, like an undrafted free agent guide to the practice squad as an emergency quarterback, just in case one of these guys goes down. Now, the group that may be, in my opinion, the most exciting on this team and the, the most explosive on this team is the running backs. And they we talked about McKinnon in the open of the show, but they signed Tevin Coleman, brought him in. Raheem Mostert kind of emerged last year. Jeff Wilson emerged a little bit last year, although he couldn't really hold, hold on to the ball. But they have a lot of depth where at one point last year they had no depth. So I tend to think circling back to my first point that they're only going to keep three active plus use check on game days. And the three that I think are active, well, there's here's, here's the four that that are available and three of these will active McKinnon, Brita, Mostert, uh, Coleman. And then you have guys like Jeff Wilson and stuff, but those four, those four top guys, three of them will be active. Mostert's going to be active because he plays special teams. He's the gunner. And he's one of the better ones in the league. And he's the second fastest guy on the team. So he'll be active for sure. Tevin Coleman will be active for sure because that's Kyle Shanahan's guy from Atlanta. You didn't bring him in here to, to just cut him and, and deactivate him. Matt Breida has to be active because the guy almost ran for 1,000 yards. He ran for over 900 yards last year. Although he was playing on a bum ankle, he still was able to get that production and was one of the more explosive running backs in the league. And check is not going to sit the bench because you need a fullback in this offense. So. I think that really, again, McKinnon is the odd man out, but you're not going to see four running backs active on on game days. I think it depends. Uh, if McKinnon is not healthy and they use that six-week uh, physically un- uh, unable to perform list to stash him, I think you only see three with Mostert, Brita, and Coleman active on game days. I think if McKinnon is healthy, they will do four. Uh, I think having a clear-cut uh, starting defensive line with D Ford there and Nick Bosa on the ends makes it to where you can get away with having a special teams only specialist like Mostert would be in that scenario. And they could go ahead and have four running backs active because each one of them brings something different to the table. So I I wouldn't be surprised if McKinnon is healthy to have four running backs, even though I wouldn't really count Mostert as a running back in that scenario. Yeah, I think that's that's one option that they could consider is that if he's still not healthy by the time the season starts, they may just put him on pup for six weeks and then 
have the ability to reactivate after six weeks or sideline him for the rest of the season. So I think that they are really, I don't think they're really attached to any of these guys. Oddly enough, I think the most attachment comes to Tevin Coleman because he was able to be so successful in Atlanta, but really it comes down to production and Brita produced the most out of all these guys. He's on that undrafted free agent contract, which is a steal for a guy of his ability. And he did not drop a pass last year. And he was, I believe, amongst the minimum number of passes thrown his way. He was the only guy in the league that did not drop a pass uh, from the running back position. So that being said, I'm excited. I'm really super fired up about this group because the the staple of Kyle Shannon offense is to be able to get the running backs involved. Now, that means less production for the other positions. And as you look to the wide receiver group, which you actually did a preview on for WebZone, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on those guys will, will probably have the ball spread around them. You're not going to have a guy with like a thousand yards or 1500 yards. Like you did with Kittle last year. You're going to, uh, although Kittle's a tight end, but you're not going to have that in the wide receiver group. They got Debo Samuel and Jordan Matthews in the off season. You've got Goodwin Pettis, Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne already there. You got Richie James already there. So you've got a, a really good top sort of six or seven wide receivers. And then everybody after that, I think, is just going to be camp fodder and, and, and cut. But that group, really, it comes down to, do you want Jordan Matthews on the team for that height? Or do you get rid of him and keep a guy like Richie James uh, on the roster because he can return punts and things like that? So really, it comes down to, for me, the top the top like three spots, three or four spots are, are, are taken. Goodwin's going to stay. Pettis is obviously going to stay. Debo is obviously going to stay because he's just drafted. Trent Taylor is going to stay because he had great chemistry with Jimmy. And now it comes down to Bourne, Matthews, and Richie James for two slots because you're only going to have six active. And usually your sixth wide receiver has to play. If he's active, he has to play special teams. So I, I, I don't know. Who, who do you think is going to stay out of that group? Well, I, I think you have five clear cut. Uh, you, you forgot Jalen Hurd there, who's also obviously just drafted. I did. I did forget um, Jalen Hurd, but I was actually gonna—I was actually gonna group him with the tight end group. Yeah, that—that's—that's that's some of the roster flexibility. They'll be curious to see how they answer. Do they count Hurd as a wide receiver, or do they get uh, a little tricky with it and count him as just a offensive weapon where he can be a the, an emergency third tight end, even though he's never really played that position. He just has the size to play that position. Who knows in terms of that? You know, Shanahan is definitely willing to think outside the box. I wouldn't be exactly surprised to, to see him all of a sudden get to work at tight end and training camp and, and kind of confirm those suspicions that people have written about. But I think they're going to go one of two ways with this. And I actually had uh, the, the preview that I wrote as part of the whole team of previews. I predicted this first prediction, but then one of my bold predictions was actually changing that after I, I dug deeper into the entire roster and who we're going to keep and, and how it could break down. So I originally predicted, and I think it's still possible that they do a surprise where they only keep five wide receivers. They keep that Pettis, Debo, Goodwin, Hurd, and Taylor, and then they'll have a de facto sixth and Richie James on practice squad. So if there's an injury one week, they can promote Richie James up to be five and they'll have five active on game days. I think with somebody like Kittle and all, all the running backs who can catch, they don't necessarily need to keep six on the roster. And as I mentioned before, it's going to be hard to figure out 
what who they're going to keep and who they're going to let go because there's so much depth this season that there's going to be some good players let go that are going to be picked up by other teams. So anywhere they can save a roster spot, they could very well end up thinking outside of the box. And I think wide receiver, that is an option. Now, my bold prediction was that Matthews ends up making the roster. Not necessarily because of his size. That's part of it. But digging deeper just into his statistics from last season and really the last two years. Yeah, he has 45 catches in the last two years. He's certainly fallen off from when he looked like a future pro bowler as a first and second year player in Philadelphia. But if you look at his uh, reception percentage and the amount of targets that he's ended up converting into receptions in the last two seasons, he's sixth in the league amongst receivers who have at least 40 catches. So it's not that he hasn't been doing well in terms of when the ball comes his way. It's that he just hasn't gotten the opportunity. And you you see that sometimes when a guy ends up getting traded to a new team. He just doesn't get worked into the playbook. He doesn't get worked into the scheme. He ends up falling behind in the depth chart. And wide receiver is so much about getting the opportunity, having a rapport with a specific quarterback who's willing to target you when he's in trouble, who's willing to throw your way, even though a DB's right there, but he knows you can go up and get it, stuff like that. He had that rapport with Carson Wentz early in his career, and he put up some near 1,000-yard receiving seasons, and then Wentz got hurt. Uh, Foles didn't have the same rapport with him. He kind of fell off. He got traded to Buffalo, never quite fit in in Buffalo, which he has said before after he moved on. Went back to Philadelphia, but mostly played when Foles was playing instead of Wentz. Didn't get very many targets, but he still caught 70% of his targets last season. And by the way, last season, he was playing in more of a vertical offense, unlike what they play in Buffalo. And he averaged 15 yards per reception last season, which when you combine that with his reception percentage at 70%, his actual yards per target last season was over 10 yards per target. And that ended up being top 10 in the NFL for wide receivers. So I see a lot of potential there. And he does bring some things that the other Wide receivers don't because he is six foot three. He's 215 pounds, um, but he also is able to play the slot. He's played the slot in the NFL quite well, and he can also play both outside receiver positions. And I think in terms of the Niners offense, that more physical intermediate route receiver, that it plays a vital role in Shanahan's offense. There's not much depth there. Debo's who were the Niners are hoping can end up filling that role, the role that Garcon played before. Goodwin's not that type of receiver. Pettis is not that type of receiver. It's really up to Debo to try to step up to that other outside role and play the more physical. And Matthews is capable of playing that and has played similar roles in the past. So I, I see them now keeping six wide receivers with the other five that I've mentioned. And I see Bourne being the odd man out. And of course, they've got other players in camp: Sean Poindexter, Max McCaffrey, uh, Mark Henry, the the wide receiver, not the wrestler. Uh, and I think I think those guys don't make it through camp. Max McCaffrey, the, the brother of Christian McCaffrey, um, by the way. So, really, I think that this group is one of the more talented groups that they've had since since Harbaugh was here. And if they did hit on the picks of Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, it's a huge, huge win for them because that's more weapons for Jimmy Garoppolo, more versatility, more options for them to go to if a team decides to scheme and take away one one particular part of their offense. That's what it is. It's it's 
an offense does something, defense adjusts and schemes to take that away. And then offense has to readjust, right? So the more athletes that you have at these skill positions, like the running back position and the receiver position, that tilts the scale in your favor. And one of the guys that tilted the scale in Niners favor last year heavily was George Kittle. And I can't say enough about this guy. I last, last year he had one of those seasons where I was just like, man, I'm sure he's not going to have this prolific of a season ever again, but it was just really fun to watch because he was unstoppable. And I can guarantee you the teams, as I mentioned earlier, the teams are going to scheme to take away George Kittle, which means that other guys are going to have to step up. So the tight end position, there's more depth there. They, uh, they were able to draft for depth. They've got guys coming back uh, like Selleck. And obviously George Kittle is your, your number one go-to guy. And Jalen Hurd is a guy who can possibly play out of that position. Uh, I'm not saying that he will be a tight end, but I'm kind of including him in that, in that position group because on the field where the tight ends line up, they may choose to put Jalen Hurd there to expose a matchup on the defense, having him going against the linebacker. So I'm going to say that at this point, they'll probably keep with Jalen Hurd kind of being like a flex guy. They're, Kittle's obviously the, the number one. Um, I think they'll keep Jalen Hurd as a flex guy because you're not going to deactivate a guy who, who you drafted in the third round of that year. You've also got basically guys like Ross Dwelly. Um, you've got uh, Tyree Mayfield, Miles Paul, Caden Smith. Um, and they're basically fighting it out for one tight end spot. And I think it's going to be Caden Smith, the tight end that they drafted out of Stanford because he can, he's a really, really good blocker uh, in the run game. And he's a, a, a fairly decent red zone threat. So he might be one of those guys that is a candidate either for the practice squad or he'll be pulled up with the team as a, the third tight end. But I think that Selleck is probably on his way out. Uh, they want to get younger at that position. And obviously Kittle is the, is the number one there. Yeah, I mean, it, it starts and ends with Kittle in terms of uh, the tight end position. Uh, I think Caden Smith will definitely be kept, uh, you know, he, coming out of Stanford. They know him pretty well considering Stanford's right there. I mean, obviously Stanford's been a pipeline to the 49ers mm-hmm. for quite some time. Uh, and I do think that uh, Caden Smith, with his receiving ability, uh, you know, he's not a dynamic receiver quite like uh, George Kittle is, but I just keep thinking about the potential to have a lineup where you have Caden, a two tight end lineup where you have Caden Smith at six foot five, George Kittle at six foot four, and then you have a Jalen Hurd uh, lined up at H back or something since he did play running back in college at you know six foot four as well coming out as a receiver being then motioned out as a wide receiver coming out of the slot or something and then you got all these huge guys all of a sudden on the line what, what's the defense do at that position or at that at that point uh, that's one of the lineups I really would love to see even just in preseason to see how the experiment works because uh, that would really throw a defense can you imagine having okay we got two tight ends who are huge and can mm-hmm. can catch the ball and we got a running back back there that's a running back slash wide receiver slash tight end, freak of nature, athletically, who's every bit as big as these tight ends. Oh, and he just went into motion, and now he's up on the line as a receiver. What are we going to do? I would love to see a lineup like that. It seems to me like they're really trying to replicate what New England had with their two big tight ends when when Aaron Hernandez was there and, and uh, Rob Gronkowski was just coming back from injury that that had sidelined him going into the draft in his first season. They had a really good thing there where they had two big tight ends for Tom Brady to throw to. 
all of their running backs to catch out of the backfield. And the receivers were kind of nondescript guys. Like Julian Edelman wasn't really like a, a thousand yard receiver at that point. Like he, he had not rounded into what he is today, but they had a lot of undersized sort of shifty guys at wide receiver. And it seems like because Jimmy Garoppolo came from that same system, they're trying to build that same sort of feel for him here in San Francisco. And like you said, that, that whole idea of having two large tight ends fits right into that. So I think that, in that sense, you will see more playmaking out of the tight end position besides just George Kittle. Because of that, his numbers will suffer. I don't think he's going to get to 1,000 yards this year, and I'm pretty confident in saying that. But I think he still will be very effective when he has the ball and trying to take coverage away from other guys. I think that in the red zone, he'll be, he'll be much better. And just in general, like you're going to see the ball spread around more, where I was just basically last year like, okay, it's going to Kittle, and they have nobody else. I, I think that this year from the passing game standpoint, everybody will get a little bit. You see a bunch of guys with, with 40 to 50 catches and 800 yards, for example, right? You won't see anybody with like a, a 1700 yard season or a 1500 yard season with 112 catches. You're not going to see that. They're not that, that type of offense. So I'm yeah, excited. There's a, I was going to say there's one more new England connection in terms of the receiver group there that would be very familiar with what new England has done, especially the two tight end sets. And that's the new wide receivers coach, Wes Welker. So I, I think you're right on the money there that the Niners are kind of uh, trying to develop that, that flexibility and, and ability to co- constantly move motion and change sets and really confuse a defense by copying kind of what new England did in the past. And Wes Welker obviously knows that as well as anybody. Exactly. And, and I, and I really like when they brought in Welker, I really appreciated that because they have one of his former teammates in, in, in Jimmy Garoppolo. So I'm super excited about that. Or actually, Welker was gone by that time, but um, they come out of the same system. So right. um, moving on to the offensive line. Now, you know what the five starters are going to be. Assuming that they can all make it back from injury, it's going to be Staley, Tomlinson, Richburg, Person, and uh, McGlinchey. And I, I think that Josh Garnett is, is filling in admirably while Richburg is out because Person has to slide to center. But I think that um, that the starting five is set. Beyond that, you've got guys that kind of are, are not as well known. You've got guys like um, you got uh, 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 Nigel Torin, Christian Delario, Justin School, who they drafted. You got Ross Reynolds. These guys who who uh, you haven't really heard of. Obviously, they're kind of uh, undrafted free agent signings. Um, ben Garland, who was with the Falcons when Kyle Shanahan was there, I think that he has a chance to to make the team. So. Really, it, it comes down to guys that can play multiple positions, and that's why person is so valuable. They recently cut Eric Magnuson, who was one of those guys that could play all five positions on the line in, in an effort to, to kind of get some new blood. Um, I think school will probably stay on the practice squad. Um, you know, he was a late-round pick and, and kind of one of those guys that they don't really know where they're going to put him, whether it's guard or tackle, but... Uh, I think he'll make the practice squad, but beyond that, Ben Garland is another scheme guy from Atlanta. I think he'll actually make the team. I think he makes the team a- as a backup. He can play guard. He can play tackle. Um, I think he'll get one of the backup spots. And the other one, probably, I mean, it's it's hard for me to say. I mean, Torin was there last year, um, and I think that they like the fact that he can he can play multiple multiple positions too. But I think that you probably have Garland and Torin um, with school going to the practice squad. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Ross Reynolds is a, a undrafted rookie that I was the most excited for when he was signed. He's out of Iowa. They make great guards. They're very good at blocking. Uh, George Kittle can attest to that. Uh, yeah. 
as as can Bethard. That is what they're known for developing, and he is a very powerful inside uh, offensive lineman that really fits the scheme. Um, so I'm that's one of the rookies that I think is flying under the radar that I'm kind of excited to actually see. Probably going to have to wait till preseason to actually see anything with him. Uh, people don't really post or videotape uh, often undrafted offensive linemen rookies <laughs> <laughs> for you to be able to see anything with. But I really want to see him because I think he has a good chance of making this roster. Like you said, the starters are we're pretty confident in the starters and. Really, I'm pretty confident in the top six because I think Garnett will make the team. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether or not he starts and where person is and all that, who knows? I I do see a scenario where they might, if Garnett looks to be as good as person and there's not really a big difference, I mean, they're not exactly the same player. Garnett's much more powerful, person's more technical. But if they seem to be about equal quality, I could see them going with Garnett so that person can be super utility amongst the offensive line and play both guard spots and the center as a backup. Um, but really after those six, they're going to keep nine. That's generally what they've kept. Mm-hmm. It's what they kept last season. Those last three spots are completely up in the air. And I don't think anybody has any clue. They just brought in some fresh blood, you know, like you said, Ben Garland, guys like that, uh, you know, a Wesley Johnson, who knows how they're going to fit, how well they fit into the scheme, what Shanahan truly thinks of their ability since there is film out there. Obviously, he probably did the research and knows that they have a good chance of fitting the scheme. But who knows until they show up? Who knows about a Ross Reynolds, an undrafted rookie? You know, how much has uh, school in- improved? You just don't know. And it's hard to get any info about an offensive line training training camp. It's just not a glamour position. So that's to me, what preseason is going to be about for that position, the backup offensive line preseason will determine, not so much training camp. I mean, obviously coaches can see things in training camp, but even then, offensive line is hard to rate in training camp because you, you just, it's so such a physical, you know, it's the trenches. It's hard to do that in practice, especially with the new rules limiting how much contact they can have and all that. So preseason really goes for the offensive line, and that's one of the things I'll be watching for. A lot of times when I watch preseason games, I don't necessarily watch the ball like I do a regular season game. You know, When there's a, a run going, normally I'm watching the guy running the ball. In preseason, sometimes I just keep watching the offensive line, see who's pushing their guy way down the field, knocking them down, getting them out of space, stuff like that. So that, that's one of the things I'll definitely be watching for, but it, it's impossible to guess right now who's going to be making the roster. And another one of those position groups where the, the back end of the roster is kind of up in the air is the defensive line. Now, this defensive line of the 49ers, in my opinion, is the most improved defensive line in the league based off of what they picked up in D Ford and and Nick Bosa uh, respectively, we know who the starters are going to be. This is, this is set in stone. We know that this is going to happen. It's going to be, well, I I don't want to say that Bosa and Ford will be on the field at at the same time at all times, because they'll, they'll bring them into sub packages, especially with Bosa. They may start to ease him in and maybe not have him in um, for, for the majority of downs, maybe just passing downs, have him and Ford on the field at the same time. But that being said, you're going to have, Nick Bosa, D. Ford, DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, Ronald Blair, all making the team. They're all locks. They're all going to make it. And beyond that, you've got guys like DJ Jones, who plays in the middle, Sheldon Day, Contavious Street, who's coming off the ACL from last year. 
They just signed um, Demontre Moore this past week. Um, they've got um, Keith Givens. They've got Jamel Garcia Williams. They've got a bunch of guys that are at the back of the roster that are fighting for just like a couple of spots there. And with the the, the top five guys basically being set in stone, um, who do you really think is the odd man out from the back of the roster? It's really tough to say because you don't know what Street's going to bring. That's a guy that likely would have been a first-round pick if he didn't get hurt right before the draft. Um, I forgot Julian Taylor as well, sorry. Right, last year's draft pick, who actually performed pretty well when he when he played. Yeah, he has upside. This is the position that has, I think, easily the most quality depth on the roster, and is one of the most quality depth uh, position groups in all the NFL, in my opinion. I think whoever ends up cut out of this group, there's going to be at least one, if not both, people who end up cut getting picked up by other teams because somebody mm-hmm. of quality is going to have to be let go. Last season, they kept nine defensive linemen. They're likely going to keep that the same. Uh, you need a lot of depth on the defensive line. Um, I think Julian Taylor's probably going to be the odd man out. I think he's got a guy. He's a guy that has a lot of upside, but he he's got a lot of work to do too. He's very good at getting after the quarterback. He, he he's got a good pass rush against the run. He he's a little more suspect. He has a lot of technique that he needs to work on. He'd be a guy that. If you didn't have so much depth, you'd love to keep him and work on him and maybe blossoms into a starting quality defensive lineman. He's got that potential, but uh, with, with all the experience and great quality at the top here, I just don't see the need to keep a Julian Taylor. And then inside, you're going to have to let go of somebody else on the inside, whether it's, you know, you got Jones, you got Day. I'm guessing it's probably going to be Day, but it's hard to know what their priorities are because going to the wide nine alignment, it really changes what you want. There's no need for a true nose tackle anymore. We're not going to have a true nose tackle that just needs to sit there and occupy one or two blockers mm-hmm. and be an immovable wall so DeForest Buckner can do his thing opposite of him. Who that is, whether or not they still value keeping a true nose tackle or not, it's hard to say, but uh, if I had to guess, I would say it's going to end up being Day and Taylor that end up cut. Yeah, it's really hard to to predict the final cuts just because, like you said, for the first time in a long time, the Niners are going to have guys cut that are picked up by other teams that are not the Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks are just obsessed with the 49ers, <laughs> and that's it's a really weird... It's a two-way kind of, street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and it's, it is a two-way street. But uh, I digress on that. But when it comes down to guys that are going to make the team, I think that for the first time in a long time for many position groups, you're having the first five or six players at that position set in stone, which means that not only are the starters set, but their backups are also there. And that, that type of depth just wasn't here when the, the Niners had moved on post Harbaugh. So I think that they're moving in the right dire- direction in terms of roster and it's indicative with position groups like the defensive line. So I think they're, they're pretty set there. Um, I also think they're set at linebacker. And we know, we know that Quan Alexander is coming off the ACL. They're, they're taking their time with him. He's cleared to play. So they just want to, they just want to take it easy. I believe that Kyle Shanahan said that uh, he did not want to play Quan Alexander and Jimmy Garoppolo uh, until the, the second or third preseason game. So they're, they're taking it easy with them, but we know that Quan Alexander is there, former pro bowler, uh, 24 years old, super young, super fast. Uh, Malcolm Smith is going to make it Fred Warner, who is my opinion, the best, 
young linebacker last year, um, and Mark Nazacha, along with Elijah Lee on special teams. So we know the top five there. And if they decide to keep anybody else, you've got um, uh, you've got guys like David Mayo and Leroy Reynolds. You've got you know um, a one or two probably spots that are available. Uh, I think if one of these guys goes down, but I think that the, the, the guys that I just mentioned, uh, Elijah Lee, Nazacha for special teams, and you've got Warner Smith, um, Greenlaw and Alexander, um, that will split the starting dude just based on who's healthy. Yeah. The, they kept six last season. I think they'll probably stick with that number. Um, with teams playing so much nickel these days, you don't need all the linebackers that they used to, you know, a lot of teams, kept seven in the past, stuff like that. Uh, you know, some would keep, still keep six, even when they played three linebackers. You know, if you ran a three, four, which used to be a popular uh, alignment that the Niners ran, you might keep seven. But I think they'll keep six again. Uh, the Niners were in nickel. I forget the percentage. It, it, it was well over half the time last season, and you only played two linebackers when you're playing nickel. Uh, so I think the five you mentioned will be the top five. And then there'll be a sixth kept, and it's going to be whoever shines in training camp and preseason. And it's another spot that's wide open at this point. Um, like you said, Lee and uh, and Mark are going to both be special team. I forget how to pronounce his last name. I always forget. Nazacha? Nazacha. I always want to say Naziocha. It's <laughs> <laughs> like phonetically, it's kind of hard, right? Like right. I've, got a hard la- I've got a hard last name too, right? So I know I know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they'll both be kept for special teams. Uh, you know, he was re-signed specifically for special teams, so he's not going anywhere. And then you have Malcolm Smith, who, you know, he's not the most popular player amongst fans because of his injury history and how much he was paid to come in and the fact that he hasn't really been able to play much. But he's still a quality linebacker, and he's capable of backing up both spots and kind of moving around. He's decently athletic as well. And then you have the two starters, which are Fred Warner and Quan Alexander, for obvious uh, reasons that we don't really need to get into that a whole lot. Outside of that, you got some guys, you, you know, you got an undrafted rookie in Alzaire, uh, who ha- is very athletic. He's a bit undersized. Uh, he, you know, he's six foot two, but he's only about 225 pounds. Um, I could see him making the team because I think he's going to make a very good special teams option as well. Um, so if I had to pick one, I would probably pick him, but it could also, they could play it safe and keep somebody like Mayo. You know, he's safe, reliable. He's been around. It's just preseason is going to really determine that six linebacker. Not that it's going to be all that important of a spot on the team. It's probably a guy that's not going to see the field a whole lot. Uh, hopefully knock on wood. You know, we, we've seen in the past, the guys that are buried on the depth chart suddenly become starters for reasons we don't like, but. The linebacker position, I think, is pretty well set. The position that, to me, uh, is probably of most intrigue this offseason is the cornerback position. And the battle that's going to happen opposite Richard Sherman is a really important one because Akilah Witherspoon, before he got hurt last year, he was picked on and he didn't play well. And he did not repeat his performance from the previous season as a rookie where he performed pretty admirably and, and was pretty good. I think that what you're going to have here is obviously you have the, the stalwart pro Bowl hall of famer, Richard Sherman on one side, that side is going to be shut down. 
But the other side, you've got two guys competing for a starting spot in Jason Verrett and Akilah Witherspoon. And that to me is going to be one of the most important competitions of all of camp because that is going to be the position that people are going to pick on. They're not going to throw at Sherman. We know that. He was targeted very little last year, just like he's been targeted his entire career. And that was when he was rehabbing from the, 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 the Achilles injury that he had the previous year. He's basically at 80%. He's back at 100% now. And he seems like he's, he's for all intents and purposes, what he said uh, and put out in the media is that he's basically back to his old self in terms of physical ability. So you've got a really, really important battle uh, between two guys that are both pretty talented. Witherspoon fits the bill in terms of the size that Robert Sala wants in the scheme. Remember this Seattle Seahawks type defense likes big cornerbacks, but Jason Verrett, in my opinion, is a much more talented player. So you really have to weigh one thing versus the other. It's like, okay, well, there's the upside of Witherspoon and the, and the, the physical attributes that he has in terms of his length, or you have Jason Verrett, who's a, a former pro bowler who has a lot of ability, but just can never stay on the field. So for me, on the outside, and we'll break down slot corners in a second, but but on the outside, Sherman's going to make it on one side, and man, it's it's such a tough call. Uh, it's a toss-up, but I I think that Witherspoon may win that job uh, on the on the other side. I just think that it's way too early to give up on him. I think that he's he's got the intangibles and and the physical attributes that they like, um, which kind of hurts me because I like Jason Verrett a lot. But I just, I just, I'm not sure that they're so, so quick to give up on Witherspoon. Yeah, so far it seems like, uh, from the little bit we know so far, um, that all reports are good on both uh, accounts. Witherspoon coming out of the OTAs, everybody was talking about how great he was and how he looks to be back to season one form and, and really looking to keep that starting spot. And then so far, everything's been rosy about Verrett's knee. You know, we, we saw the viral videos of him being able to make cuts uh, a few months ago. And supposedly, he, he's got no limitations on that knee anymore. And if that's true, then, oh boy, for <laughs> opposing passing offenses. Because not only are you going to have that defensive line coming after you, but if you got a, a Witherspoon who's back to being that young, up-and-coming cornerback, plus Sherman, plus Verrett over there. That's going to be really tough to beat when the quarterback, you know, is not going to get great time. I think, like you said, Witherspoon fits the scheme more. And you got to factor in Verrett is on a one-year contract. So if there's a tiebreaker, if both are looking great, you might not want to push Witherspoon back and maybe hurt his development knowing that he's going to be the one that's still around and you can really start to create some rapport between him and Sherman by keeping them both starting on opposite sides of the ball. So I could see that as being kind of a small tiebreaker. I think Witherspoon ends up keeping it because of that. They're going to want to see how that Sherman Witherspoon rapport really gets going uh, and let them keep developing and assuming Witherspoon obviously looks good enough to be a starter. He'll start there, but he'll have a short leash. If he struggles once the real games get going, Verrett will be inserted there pretty quickly. I don't. I could even see it happening in week one if, if Witherspoon makes a mistake. You know, I, I think those two, regardless of what ends up happening for who is the technical starter, I could see a a pretty good rotation between two of them. Keep them both fresh. That way, they they can play better. You know, they run a deep 
a deep route where they had to run with a wide receiver on a go route. Sub him out, put in the other one who's fresh and is going to be able to dominate the receiver that much better because he's fresh. Yeah, and I think that it's 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 going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think that they're both immensely talented, and it would be kind of cool if Jason Verrett made it, and and then you've got like the all dread team with Sherman and Verrett, and just be super super cool to see intimidating and all that stuff would be cool. Two physical cornerbacks, but I think that's that's the most intriguing battle of camp, in my opinion, um, outside of the the running backs group. And when you look to the slot corners or the the, the corners on the inside. Quan Williams is one of the better slot corners in the league. And he's, I believe, in the last year of a three-year deal that he signed uh, when he initially came to the 49ers. Or, no, sorry, he signed an extension. So I think he has more years on his contract. So you got Quan Williams, who's there, who's the veteran, um, who's one of the better slot corners in the league. And then you've got DJ Reed, who played really well in limited time last year. And he played all over the place. He played safety. He played in the slot. He played outside corner. He was returning punts and kicks and everything. And he's one of those guys who's, I guess you can consider an undersized corner, but a really physical corner. And I like him. I like him backing up Quan uh, Williams because you need, you need at least one guy that can also shift inside uh, and play on the inside. So I think that it's going to be Quan Williams and DJ Reed. Um, aside from that, you've got guys like Tyvis Powell, Greg Mabin, and and those sorts of guys that are actually, um, or did they? I don't think Mabin's in camp this year, but um, you've got other guys that that may not make the team. Um, um, aside from the the top four or five guys that we just mentioned, um, Tyree Robinson, um, you know, like there's there's uh, Dante Johnson, I believe, is still in camp. Um, yep. Tim Harris, the draft pick. Uh, the seventh round pick this year, who I think is going to probably get practice squatted um, just because he had an injury history in college. So I think he needs a little bit more work before he's ready. But again, depth at that position, I really think that they're, that they're set at slot as well. It would be interesting to see because the Niners have a lot of tweeners where they can play both safety and cornerback. Now, pretty much all of them haven't necessarily succeeded in being great at either of those positions when they're splitting time. And I think that's something the team started to address with saying Ward's going to be solely a, a safety this season and stuff like that and moving to various more strictly to safety as well. But when you start getting into that fifth cornerback position, a lot of times you can have a safety slide down into that. And the top four, pretty obvious. You know, you, you got Sherman, Witherspoon, Kwan Williams, and Jason Verrett. That's your top four. Fifth, it really depends. If DJ Reed... He had flashes. Overall, I think his overall grade wasn't very good because uh, he, he made a lot of mistakes. He was slow to recognize. Uh, I think he was struggling with their transition between safety and college down to cornerback. It, it's hard to those, – those positions aren't as interchangeable as a lot of fans think. There's, there's a lot of nuance and technique that goes to making the change between a safety and cornerback position. Uh, so can he can he look more like a corner this season and be strictly a corner and fulfill that fifth role and solidify himself? Or will the Niners go, you know what, we're going to keep five safeties with somebody like Tavares more capable of going and being that fifth cornerback or being a safe, depending on what we need in a given week? That's going to be a big question coming out of camp. Uh, I would lean towards G- DJ Reed. Ends up cut. I think Tim Harris goes to practice squad, like you said. I don't think there's any chance of him being stolen as a seventh-round pick going to practice squad. And they'll end up going with just those top four corners. 
And then they're going to keep five safeties on top of that for 10 total secondary. Yeah, because Verrett can play inside too. That's one other thing that yeah. that people don't mention. And most teams have at least a three wide receiver set as their set as their base sort of offense that they roll with. So you don't see fullbacks anymore. The Niners are one of the few teams that carries a fullback. So you don't see two tight end sets very much anymore. I feel like the Niners will be one of the few teams that you'll see a two tight end set with Jalen Hurd uh, playing out of the tight end position um, on the field, not necessarily being a tight end himself, but uh, you'll see that the, the, the kind of antithesis of that uh, amongst other teams. So you have to have a lot of guys that can cover and I think because of that, Verrett will make the team, but I think the Witherspoon would just start on the outside. So the, the good thing is, is again, they've got talent there. They've got guys who played there. It's just a matter of health. Can they all stay healthy? The safety position is, to me, the most polarizing position on this team. And the reason why is because they had, and, and to me, like, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but they had a chance to improve this position over the offseason in terms of bringing a free agent. And it was a safety-heavy market. And Earl Thomas is out there. Kenny Vaccaro is out there. Eric Berry's still out there. There were several safeties. Still, uh, Trey Boston, who, I, who I'm not too high on, is still out there as well. But they, there was a, a, a huge number of safeties out there for them to choose from, and they chose to bring back Jimmy Ward. And to me, I'm not a, I'm not a Jimmy Ward guy. I don't think um, that he is very good. I don't think that he can stay healthy. I, I don't think he should. Like To me, it, it was just shocking that they brought him back. And again, he gets hurt in mini camp and he's on the pup list to start training camp. So it's like, this guy is never healthy yet. You're asking him to compete for the starting job. To me, Adrian Colbert was head and shoulders better than Jimmy Ward. Adrian Colbert to me in his short time played better than Jimmy Ward ever did at any, any period of time in his career. And he was just a rookie. So last year Colbert was hurt. I believe he had a hip injury that was, that was significantly bothering him. And as a speed guy, as an angles sort of guy, that's going to take its toll. So I think that at the free safety position, I think that honestly, I think Jimmy Ward is just going to be cut. I don't think he's going to be part of the Niners coming, uh, coming um, into week one. I think that Colbert will, will distinguish himself. They've got Tarverius Moore who can also play free safety as well. That's his natural position. So I think that they're going to roll with Colbert and Moore. Ward is the odd man out at free safety. Um, you've got Jukowski Tart, who again, same thing, Uber talented in, in his, in his case, he's shown that he's, he's got that talent, but he just ne- never can stay on the field. And I don't know if they can count on him. I think that he's probably going to win the starting job um, for the start of the season. But at some point, if he gets hurt, you've got Marcel Harris, you've got Anton Exum, you've got other guys that can come in and, and play the free safety position that, that have played it or sorry, strong safety position that have played it. And remember this is in the box too. So um, I think that, in that sense, what's going to happen is you're going to have um, on the back end, you will have uh, uh, um, Adrian Colbert and uh, Tarverius Moore as the free safeties. You'll have Hart and Marcel Harris backing him up as the strong safeties uh, in the box. Yeah, I think the Niners will end up keeping Ward just because, I mean, there's a specific quote uh, I used in my uh bold predictions article where I talked about I think Adrian Colbert wins the starting position and even when Ward is healthy he won't get, have a shot at the starting position because Colbert's going to earn it um which I can get into more depth here in a second but I think Ward makes it because when he was re-signed both Lanahan and Shan- Shanahan 
praised him and specifically Lynch talked about how much of a leader he became in the locker room last season. I think he'll be kept around because of that. The leadership is an undervalued quality by fans, I think. Um, a lot of fans don't realize how much a good locker room plays into a team winning. When you have a team that's together, it's playing as one, They, you, you can have a less talented team beat a more talented team that's got a lot of dysfunction. So I think he'll be kept because of that. Plus, as I said, he has some position flexibility if they, if needed, if there's, God forbid, injuries again in the secondary. But I think you have Tart starting. You have Colbert starting. You have Marcel Harris backing up Tart. You have Ward backing up Colbert. And I think Tavares Moore will be the guy that is the fifth safety I don't know if XM can make it. it. It really depends on that fifth corner. Does DJ Reed look like a real fifth corner? If he does, I think XM is cut. If he doesn't, I think XM is kept. And you have guys like Ward that can go back and forth because he's no longer a clear-cut safety with Colbert earning the position. And getting back on Colbert, the reason why I think he's going to earn that position, a lot of what he struggled with, especially last season, was play recognition and the angles he was taking. Play recognition comes with experience. He had an entire offseason to learn, and while injured, he had that entire time to learn. And then on top of that, his angles, that's that's a relatively easy thing to fix, teaching somebody to take better angles as a safety. But I think he, he will be better. He'll probably still have some instances where he doesn't take quite the right angle, but he has the speed to make up for it, and I think that's the difference maker. Ward, Ward, it has some speed too, but Colbert's in a different class. Uh, I posted in my bold predictions a tweet from back when he ran at Pro Day. He didn't he didn't run at the Combine, so there's no official time. But when he ran at the University of Miami Pro Day, he had multiple scouts clock him at 4.25 in the 40, which mm-hmm. I seriously doubt he truly ran a 4.25. I mean, that would be amongst the best ever. But it's pretty widely believed he has true 4.3 to mid 4.3 speed. And with the wide nine alignment, and a defensive line that's going to be able to get to the quarterback with regularity, you're going to have a lot of rushed throws where speed becomes even more important at the safety position because they're going to need to be able to get there quick because the throws are going to be coming faster. Mm. And I think that's what ends up earning Colbert that position. Yeah, I think so. And I think that people forget how good he was when he was starting there as a rookie towards the end of 20, um, 2017. And I think that because of that, he's going to be one of those under the radar guys that pops up and he's making plays and people are like, Oh, I didn't know. But it's like, but you did know because you saw him doing this. So I'm a, I'm a big Adrian Colbert guy. I think that when healthy, he can be a, a really serviceable, strong starter. And uh, I think that it's going to play out much in the way that I think we're in the same page here for, for most of these positions, it's going to play out the way that, that we think it's going to play out. And obviously we're not, we can't tell the future and injuries happen and ineffectiveness happens and all these hap- all these things happen. But I'm pretty sure for most of the starting positions, they know outside of that opposite corner from Sherman and free safety, they know who's going to start. Um, and that's a nice place to be. And uh, Hey man, we forgot about punters and kickers. They're people too, right? <laughs> I, I didn't forget about him. I just had him last on my list. I mean, okay, okay. So, is it a podcast without a Wisnowski reference? It is not a podcast without a Mitch Wisnowski <laughs> reference. So, Mitch Wisnowski, uh, for the first week of camp, 
has been booming the ball. He's had ridiculous hang time and it's becoming a story. And I think that for where he was drafted, he damn well better, damn well better be a story. But that being said, I think that when you have a good punter, it can help you. It's not going to flip a game, but it's, it's a definitely a good tool to have in your arsenal. And he's been impressive. Uh, Robbie gold signed this week and he's going to be back. And really that part of your game is kind of set. Now I was never too impressed with Bradley Pinion. I, I don't, I, I never really thought he was that good uh, of, of a punter and never really merited that fifth round draft status. But I think they did upgrade with Wisnowski specifically. He's a, a hang time specialist. So because of that, you'll see a lot of fair catches. You won't see a lot of big chunk returns from other teams. I think that because of that, the kicking game, when you can take that part of your team and just put it away and be like, this is, this is set. We're good here. It allows you to focus on other parts of the team. Robbie gold is one of the best kickers in NFL history. He's back on a four-year deal. I'm super thrilled about that. And it's just, let's, let's go like, let's let it rip. Right. Yeah. Special teams isn't important until they make a mistake. And then all of a sudden everybody complains about how bad they are. You know, they don't get any credit when things are going great, especially the punter and kicker. You know, a lot of people like to talk about how they're not real football players, but I'd like to see you tell that to Wisnowski's face being an old Aussie Rolls football player uh, who's supposedly in pretty stout shape. Um, but I think uh, we're going to have a dynamic duo there on punts. You're going to have Wisnowski's hang time combined with Mostert's ability to get down the field and get that. You're not going to see many punt returns. Uh, against the 49ers this season. Uh, I, I really like that pairing. Mostert's so great at, at getting down that field and making a fair catch happen. And mm-hmm. with the the hang time and the distance that Wisnowski's able to get, it, it's going to be glorious to see f- from a guy that loves kicking as much as I do. <laughs> I know, I know, I know that this is the most excited that you're going to be about any position group, right? Because this is like, this is home for you, right? Kicking <laughs> and, and punting is that's, that's, that's something it's, it's kind of funny because I can't kick a field goal or, or, or punt a ball to save my life. Right. Like that's not my specialty. I went to um, Levi stadium a couple of years ago after the season ended with one of my buddies and a uh, uh, pro tip for all of you out there who want to see Levi stadium and want to avoid the crowds after the season ends. And after the, the college bowl games are played, they'll open up Levi stadium to the public, right? You can purchase a ticket for like $10. They'll let you go into the stadium down onto the field and just like run around. And and if you got a football, you can, you can throw a football around. And we had like a small pickup game going out there. And it was at one point when everybody was gone, it was just me and my buddy and one usher left on the field. And they had the net up from one side um, of the end zone uh, where people could try kicking field goals and stuff. So I tried the old extra point that was lined up on the, on the two and a half yard line. And I must've tried to hit like, I don't know, seven kicks. I made one of them. Like it's so hard. It's, it's way harder than people think we see this out there and you see these guys punting and kicking. And it's like, Oh man, you know, like he missed like a 50 yard field goal. This guy sucks. No, no, it's, it's hard. And people don't realize that. And granted, like they're paid millions of dollars to do it, but it doesn't make, doesn't mean that it's easy. Like the average person tries to go out there. You're not going to be able to make an extra point. And that's 19 yards. You're not going to be able to make that. It's no different than uh, take somebody who didn't grow up playing baseball or, or throwing the football around and has never thrown anything and have them go out and try to throw. It, their their body's going to have no muscle memory. They're going to look weird doing it because they're going to not have the correct form. Their, their shoulder's not going to rotate right. Their elbow's not going to rotate right. It's no different than kicking, a, kicking anything, you know, whether it's a punt 
or or a field goal, you just don't have the muscle memory unless you've done it over and over again. And people I've seen, I used to challenge people uh, back when I was younger when they would say, you know, kicking's easy. I'd say, let's go out and do it, you know. And I'd, I'd give them a, a soccer ball or whatever to go kick. And a lot of them would fall because when you go to, when you're running and you try to stop on a dime and then contort your body to swing your leg around and get as much torque as you can to get power on it, a lot of people don't have the ankle strength. When they make that plant foot coming from a run, they plant their foot to try to stop and swing their leg through and they, they end up falling because they're completely off balance and they don't even hit the ball sometimes. Uh, and a field goal is much harder than kicking a soccer ball because it's not truly round anymore. Um, it Kicking a field goal is, is so hard. I remember one of the stories this offseason is after the Bears famously missed that short field goal. I think it was 35 yards that they ended up doing. They had at a fan fest. They set up artificial turf with a field goal that was 35 yards away and challenged any fan to be able to kick and make the field goal. Nobody did. Nobody could make it. Granted, yeah. it was snowing that day, so it, <laughs> it wasn't quite as easy as uh, just kicking a 35-yard field goal, but nobody could do it. And I remember there were some viral videos of media members trying, and nobody was coming close. And it, it, it's so much harder than people realize. And punting, yeah, a lot of people could probably punt and, and make decent contact with the with a ball. Good luck aiming it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the hardest part is aiming it. Yep. You, yep. you got a not not so flat surface you're trying to kick off and your margin of error on a football is so minuscule it, it's hard to directionally punt yeah and uh, people just don't appreciate that it's just i i mean granted yeah we get mad at punters and kickers and stuff like that because they again are paid millions of dollars to, to do their job but it's not easy um so that being said so i feel better than last year uh, about this upcoming season i think that they're not a Super Bowl contender yet. I think that there are too many unknowns. They should hopefully contend for a playoff spot. Now, that last six-game stretch is going to be brutal, and in no particular order. They play the Rams, the Saints, the Seahawks, um, the Ravens, um, and the Falcons in that last little stretch, and I believe there's like one game against um, uh, a, winnable, a winnable team in, in the NFC West. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think but- it's Arizona, maybe. Yeah, it's Arizona. So I think that because of that, you'll see them maybe come out of the gates a little bit stronger. And it, to me, if they can make it to the last six game stretch at six and four and play that last six games at three, even 500 ball, three and three, that takes you, that takes you to nine to seven. And that means that you're competing for a playoff spot. And really, that's what I want. I'm not expecting them to come out and be a Super Bowl champion this year. They're not ready for that yet. They're not ready to take that step. Their roster is still really young. They have a lot of unknowns. Jimmy's still developing. They they lack superstar power at several positions. And and I just I just think that when people try to make a prediction on where the Niners are going to be, nobody really knows enough to make a, a good prediction. Not even us. And the predictions that we put out there are basically just based off of what we think they may do. But you get these talking heads like Adam Rank, who are just like, oh, they're going three and thirteen, and that's absolutely like preposterous. I can't believe that you would think that the 49ers would be worse than last year with a better roster. And his whole argument was total garbage. And he was talking about how the, the he scientifically quote unquote did this and which is total bull malarkey to me, because 
you're not going to scientifically look at this and be like, well, they lost their starting quarterback last year. They lost their starting running back last year. They were running an undrafted free agent at quarterback and several different undrafted free agents at other positions. And they still won four games yet. They're still going to be worse than that this year. There's no way there's no way in hell they're worse than the last year. They're going to, they're going to be better by X amount of games. I don't know how many, but they're not going four and 12 like they did, like they did last year or worse. And those sorts of opinions, I'm like, man, that just makes you, makes me respect you a little bit less as a writer. Like you can't, you put that out there and you, and you try to stand by it based off of what, based off of like being a national guy and trying to get some clicks. So those sorts of things bother me. Um, even locally, like there's guys on, on like 95% of the game, like Dan, Dan Dibley, who I like a lot. Like I like listening to their show every morning, but he was like, oh, well, they, they didn't win any games last year on the road and they've been three and 13 the last two years on the road. Well, it's like, how can you, point to past performance and predict future success based off of that each season, each game is, is its own entity. You can't be like, Oh, well last year they won zero and eight without Jimmy Garoppolo. So this year with Jimmy Garoppolo, they're going to do the same thing. You can't, you can't say that. How can you make that jump? It's a new roster. It's a new team. It's a new year. These guys are coming back healthy. You have your starting quarterback and better players around him that are going to play. Like, how can you say that they're going to do the same or worse than last year? So those sorts of opinions bother me because it's like, you really don't know what you're talking about. Like I'm, I'm not a professional analyst or a professional like writer that does this like 24 seven for living, living like these guys are, which is shocking to me. It's like, how can you sit there with that mouth and say that a team will be worse than they were last year when, when they have improved in all facets of, of building a team, health, coaching everywhere. It's like to me and, and, and to be convinced of that. To me, it's just ridiculous. I, I don't pay any attention to that. I, I, well, I mean, I pay attention for the sake of the show so we can have talking points, but I don't buy into that crap. Like, which, and that's exactly what it is. It's crap to me. I don't think I, that. Go ahead. I, I think the Niners are an, an interesting, truly unique prediction team this season. And I know all fan bases and all teams think, oh, yeah, you know, sky's the limit. I think the Niners truly are skies. The, they're the team with skies the limit. They're, they were a team that did not do well last season, but they had a lot of injuries. Those guys are coming back. That helps make the ceiling be higher this season because you could be healthy. And then on top of that, they made a lot of additions that significantly raised that ceiling. You got Debo Samuel. If he comes in and he's immediately a monster after the catch, Shanahan will get him the ball. And that could change the whole offense when you have somebody running wild like that with Kittle as well. And then you you have somebody like the development of Dante Pettis. There's been a lot of talk that he's looking truly like a number one wide receiver you know, in OTAs and everything else. Um, if he's truly that number one receiver and Debo Samuel is truly what a lot of fans and media members think he'll be, with Kittle and Shanahan and Garoppolo's healthy and you got uh, better running backs this season just because you have Coleman healthy and you still have Brita there. Um, that offense could go so far. It could become the number one offense in the league. There's potential. I'm, I wouldn't say it. it's the most likely scenario. I wouldn't call them necessarily Super Bowl contenders. I wouldn't put them in that group yet, but they are a a team that did bad last year that has that potential. There is potential the Niners could win the Super Bowl. I would put it very, very low. Just about everything would have to break right. But the offense could become the number one offense of the league. 
And then on the defensive side, they added D Ford. They drafted Nick Bosa. They're going to have a dynamic pass rush, perhaps the best in the league at getting after the quarterback. You have athletic freaks at linebacker with Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, and you have Richard Sherman over there at the corner and Jason Verrett with that high upside as well, as well as Akil Witherspoon being a physical corner who has great size that could end up being a true starting quality corner. The defense has the same sky's the limit potential. It's mm. just a lot of things have to break, right? You got guys coming into new schemes. You got a rookie relying on and Nick Bosa, you know, uh, Quan Alexander, D4 brought in, stuff like that. But the sky's the limit is there. If everything breaks right, this team could truly be absolutely dominating on offense, led by one of the greatest offensive minds in the league, and dominate on defense because they get after the quarterback like nobody's business. So I, I think this year for the Niners, they're, they're one of those teams that, yes, they drafted second overall, but they truly could dominate the league and come out of nowhere like the Rams did two years ago. Yeah, you never really know. You don't know until the season starts. And I and I hate predictions because of that, because you don't even know what the roster is going to look like at the beginning of the season. Some of these guys may be surprise cuts or injuries may happen, and they're trying to predict what a team is going to do. And I think that it's fun. It's 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 only good fun. But when somebody makes an opinion like trying to sound like a fact, it, it bothers me a lot. So again, I've got I've got a few little pet peeves that I have that that kind of leaked into the show today, but I mean, like, I think it's important for Niners fans to know that these things don't really matter. I feel like we have a really intelligent fan base, not only that listens to the show, but in general with, with the 49ers. And I think that it's important for them to recognize what's fluff and what is actually of substance. So um, that being said, I think that you can expect this team to improve on last year. Um, anything less than eight wins is a disappointment. You have to, you have to get to at least 500. You have to be competing. Like I want them at the end of the season. Like you know, they have the columns of the teams that are uh, the division leaders and the wild card leaders and the the teams that are in the hunt. I want them to be in that column that says in the hunt. I want them to be competing. This is an important year for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. There's no more excuses now. Like you had two off seasons with cap room and draft picks, high draft picks, to be able to build your roster, and there is no excuse at this point. Like if you fail if you're John Lynch and you fail this year and and the team goes five and eleven, six and ten, something like that, heads are starting gonna start rolling next year. And the the official hot seat will be activated underneath him because then that's heading into year four. And I think right now you're kind of the honeymoon is over at this point and you're looking for some actual progress and not just potential. So I'll give my prediction in a few weeks, but I think that for now that's kind of how I feel about that. Yeah, I, I did a poll on Twitter uh, last week that, uh, and I think I, I tagged the WebZone official so it would be retweeted. Ended up getting about 250 votes in it, but it was how many wins does the team have to get, regardless of injury, for nobody to be calling for John Lynch to be fired? Or, or, you know, I forget exactly how I worded it, but essentially, how many wins do the Niners have to get, no matter what, for this regime to not be questioned? Mm-hmm. and to truly see progress happening. And I, I did seven wins, eight wins, nine, or ten wins. I think nine wins won with about 40% of the vote, and then eight wins was the next closest. That mm-hmm. seven wins and ten wins got very few votes. I came in at eight and eight, like you mentioned. 
regardless of injury, if the Niners go eight and eight, if they're fully healthy, they go eight and eight. Okay, I see progress. Sky's the limit next season. Um, if they go eight and eight and they have a bunch of injuries, wow, we went eight and eight and we had all the injuries like last season. I think that's that's the line. If they're five hundred or above, nobody's gonna. Well, I can't say nobody because there'll always be some of those fans out there. But John Lynch and Shanahan will be viewed as 100% safe. I think Shanahan's 100% safe anyways. Uh, I think the changes that would happen would be on the defensive side of the ball and Lynch if things go truly bad this season. But I do think 500 or better is what has to happen for them to be viewed as safe and not going to an offseason going, I don't know, is is Lynch going to be let go or not? Yeah, and you have to look at the improvements that they've made from last year or the last couple of years on the roster. They had guys like Cassius Marsh and Elvis Doomerville and Solomon Thomas playing out of position and guys like that rushing the passer. Now you replace those guys with D Ford, who is one of the better pass rushers in the league, and Nick Bosa, who could be the best player in the draft, possibly. You replace Pierre Garçon with Debo Samuel, who's a, who's a, a younger, better version of what Pierre Garçon was. You replace... Uh, well, not replace Akela Witherspoon, but you supplement Akela Witherspoon with Jason Verrett. You bring in competition at the free safety spot. You draft better. You replace Ruben Foster, who could never stay on the field with Quan Alexander, who's been to a Pro Bowl. So you take all of these things, like Brock Coyle's out, and now you have Dre Greenlaw in and Fred Warner in, and it's just all of those positions have improved, right? And to say that they're going to do the same as last year or worse is not it's a disservice to all the improvements that they made. Have been, have they been earth shattering improvements? I don't know. We'll see like, like the Jordan Matthews thing. Like we'll see how that turns out. He could be one of their better receivers and, and a target that Jimmy really likes because of his size and, and the fact that he is a veteran, he knows how to get open. So uh, you don't really know what's going to happen until the season starts. I know that I'm super pumped. I'm really excited. I'm optimistic. And to me, optimistic is, you know, obviously anywhere between eight and eight and 10 and six, right? Like this is where I think they'll ultimately fall. But to me, that's an improvement over last year. And like you said, next year is the year that they really go after it. Like this whole rebuild got put back one year because of the injuries last year. Last year was kind of a throwaway year that allowed them to get guys like Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel at the top of their respective rounds. So I think that because of that rebuild being pushed back, year four is going to be the year where you really see them take that next leap forward. They have cap space. You will probably see them sign like one big name to be able to be that cherry on top to give them a a, a championship caliber roster next year. So I think that this year it's building. Um, I'm tempering my expectations. I'm very excited for the direction they're going. I think that they're going in the right direction, but I think that this, this year is going to be one of those progression years where you look for health and progression from your main, uh, your main players. So that's a lot of stuff that we just talked about, man, in in about an hour and a half show. Um, That's a lot to unpack for everybody, but as the, the weeks go on and preseason wears on, we will get more into some of these battles and they'll flush themselves out. It's only week one of training camp. They just reported as of the recording of the show. So we really don't know what we have in terms of a lot of these position battles. Now, I'm super excited talking about it. Um, you know, We're going to be back with more frequent shows at this point too because it is go time for us as well. So you guys can look forward to that. And before we head out, man, like what, what, what are some of your final thoughts? Uh, I'm just ready for preseason games to get here where you truly get get to see this team. Uh, I guess my final thought would be uh, this is probably about the most exciting season the Niners have had 
since the initial breakout with Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's been a while. And like I said, if you go back 20 years, there, there hasn't been all that many seasons where to be super excited and truly think this team has a lot of potential to end up in the playoffs. The Niners mm-hmm. are, are back to being, wow, this team could truly be in the playoffs and hopefully they're there for the foreseeable future. Uh, so my final thought would be, I'm just ready for the season to get going. All right, there you have it, Niners fans. So for 11 Black, this is Zane Nackby. Uh, you can find the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, um, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So until next time, enjoy camp and let's hope for no injuries. See you guys.